Hello and welcome to Billiken Babble, your St. Louis University Billikens podcast that gets you prepared for every game the Billikens have coming up. We talk to the experts about Billiken opponents. SLU is 2-0. They come off of a win against Evansville, one that I was rather critical of in my post-game spaces. You can go back to Twitter and find that, I believe, still. They looked sloppy for 20 minutes in the middle of the game, and it really made me hesitant to feel confident about their game with Memphis coming up, which is their next opponent. The Billikens take on 1-0 Memphis Tigers, trying to get some revenge for last year's disappointing trip down to FedEx Forum when they, quite frankly, got run out of the gym by Emony Bates and the Memphis Tigers. But Emony Bates is not there anymore. This is a very different Memphis Tigers program than we saw last year, so I had to go look for my experts. Now, last year's guest, Steven Johnson, no longer with the Daily Memphian, so I went to his replacement, a new friend of mine. First year on the Memphis Tigers beat, Parth Upadaya. He's from North Carolina. He's a college basketball lifer, and he's going to tell us all about the Memphis Tigers. So let's go to that interview right now, and then afterwards I'll give some thoughts and, and notes about how I feel about the game, though I did give a, a bit more than I usually do during the interview this time, so maybe it's a shorter outro. But let's go to the interview with Parth right now. We now welcome on to Billiken Babble, new friend of the show, the second Daily Memphian Memphis writer that we've had on the show in two years, Parth Upadaya. Parth, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing well, man. Doing well. It's an honor. It's an honor to follow up, you know, the great Steven Johnson and, and be on your show. So appreciate the invite, Carter. Steven has, of course, moved down to cover the TCU Horned Frog. We now have Parth here to tell us all about Memphis basketball. But before we get into too much basketball, Parth, can you give us a real quick explainer? Tell us who you are, where you came from, and how you came across covering Memphis basketball here. Yeah, absolutely. I went to, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, first and foremost. So I grew up on ACC basketball. So to, to be in Memphis now where, you know, fans have that same feverish passion for college basketball, it reminds me of home you know, quite frankly, which is awesome. But, you know, graduated from University of North Carolina, got to cover some of Roy Williams' final years as a head coach, as a, as a student journalist. Went to go cover Penn State football for a bit in State College, Pennsylvania. Covered some high school sports outside of Pittsburgh and then landed here in September and have, have loved every minute of it. Can you give us a little primer of what is going on in Pennyland and what maybe has changed between last year and this year with Memphis basketball? Man, what's not going on? In Pennyland, man. That's one thing. You know, you asked me about this beat. Like, people had told me about it, right, before I got here, that there was a lot of storylines. But, man, the the, the drama is is amazing, right? Like, there's always something to talk about. Um, these guys have no filter, you know, as we'll, we'll get to later in the show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of what's different from last year, I think last year at times, um, you know, you saw it just being a college basketball fan and a you know, journalist covering college basketball. Penny recruited all this young talent, right, whether it be Imani Bates, Jalen Dern, and and other, other young stars. And you know, at times he kind of got fed up with the youth and, and all that that brought, you know, to his locker room, all the, you know, all the drama, all the lack of chemistry, quite frankly, that he felt existed because of slapping together, you know, a talented, but, you know, a team full of different personalities. So he, I feel like he overcorrected a bit and just went the transfer portal route, brought in six scholarship transfers, you know, all from different programs and kind of decided to, you know, build a team full of veterans versus versus young talent and i guess you know how that pans out that's to be determined so i think that's kind of the the main thing there's maybe a team you know that has more maturity than than in years past in the penny hardaway era you mentioned that it's a very different team it's older it's got more experience it's more transfer oriented did you see that in the first game play out as being a team with maybe more experience and less new sheen or was that too 
limited of a sample yet to know what you've gotten. No, I think I, I definitely saw it play out. And, and like we talked about, experience obviously doesn't mean talent, right? Like, so we're not talking about an Imani Bates, a Jalen Dern, a James Wiseman. None of those guys are there. And there's, you know, quite frankly, nobody close aside from maybe Kendrick Davis who can, you know, do some of those things and kind of take over games in that regard. But, you know, what, what I did see was, you know, when things got tight, when things got messy, you know, uh, Vanderbilt cut it to an eight-point game with seven minutes left when Memphis was up 19, you know, the Tigers didn't panic. And I think that's one thing that's kind of been a theme um, just from talking to the coaching staff and talking to, you know, people on this beat that there would be, there'd be arguing, there'd be fighting, or, you know, there'd be something that would cause chaos or disruption where the Tigers would just fall apart in, in those type of settings in previous years. You know, you didn't see that. And just talking to the guys after we talked to, you know, Alex Lomax, who's a fifth year guard and, you know, DeAndre Williams, um, who's also in his fifth year, Williams being obviously a um, all ACC first teamer, preseason first teamer. Those guys talked about how different this one felt compared to their season openers from years past where, you know, there was bickering on the bench and there was guys frustrated about their playing time and so on and so forth. This just looked so cohesive, you know, for, for it to be a team with six new transfers. I thought the way they gelled was was fairly impressive. So let's talk about some of these players in a little more depth and what role we might see them play in this game on, on Tuesday night. You mentioned that they have a couple of returners, Alex Lomax, DeAndre Williams, and Malcolm Dandridge, who Ken Pomeroy's site list says they're three most used in the depth chart in that first game. They all return. What can we expect from those guys who maybe SLU fans didn't see play as much last year because of those guys you mentioned, the Durans, the Bateses? How are they going to factor into this game before we get to the real bombastic new point guard that Penny Hardaway has, has gone and gotten himself? Sure. I mean, that's where I was going to go, right? Kendrick Davis is a new face, uh, new to college basketball, not so much, but definitely new to SLU fans and, and definitely new to, uh, you know, Tiger Nation here in Memphis. I think the rest of the supporting cast in terms of the transfers, I would say it's, it's to be determined. There wasn't a single player that really left their mark, right? Like on that last game, it was, you know, Kendrick Davis who had 16. It was DeAndre Williams who, who you know, we all know about who had 17. Malcolm Dandridge played a solid game. Alex Lomax had his first career double-double. So, you know, aside from those four core guys that we just talked about, you know, Keontae Kennedy started last game and will start again, you know, at, at that three spot at the wing. But he struggled last game. He had, he had two points, provide much else, which was surprising considering that, you know, he had kind of shown flashes of, of being a, you know, offensive contributor and being potentially a shooter on a team that lacks, quite frankly, anybody who can shoot the ball outside of Kendrick Davis. Um, so that was kind of shocking. And then you've got Elijah McCadden, who is going to be one of the first guys off the bench, can do a little bit of everything, but there's nothing really that I would say that he does everything well, right? But nothing that he does um, that stands out or is, is great by any means. I guess to, to sum all that up, I'd say, you know, who's going to emerge as that third, fourth scoring punch is, is TBD. So now it's a good time to get into, I want to say the locker room material that went out this week. You posted a story slash a quote that Kendrick Davis put out yeah, Thursday of last week that provides a little locker room material for SLU. Can you kind of tell us about what this new guard has said and, and maybe your read on who he is and what the inside meaning is? Absolutely. I had never been in that kind of setting where a college, you know, spoke, I don't know, so openly about how he felt about his talents compared to another team's talents, let alone when you're going up against a guy like, you know, Yuri Collins, who's one of the best point guards in the country. Um, But basically, you know, what kind of happened was, uh, 
another reporter asked him, hey, Kendrick, are you the type of guy, you know, who uh, gets ahead on watching film and gets ahead on scouting the next opponent before you guys do it in a team setting? And, and you know, he pauses for a bit and smiles and, and, and says something along the lines of, you know, to be honest, no disrespect, but I don't have to because I'm a bad motherfucker. Is, is what he said, um, the bad motherfucker part being verbatim, you know, everything else me kind of summarizing, but man, and, and everybody in that media room is looking around each other like, did I, did I hear that? Like, did I hear that correctly? Like, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, so he basically said that, you know, whoever his opponent is, whether it be, you know, Slew's backcourt, you know, of, of Yuri Collins and Gibson Jimerson or, or others, he could care less is what, is what he was trying to try to describe and, and that, you know, he felt that, he could go up against anybody. Yeah, it was kind of my read on that quote when I when I read it. It was less so a quote about Slew and more so a quote about himself. That was kind of, it kind of felt like he was more saying like, Slew just happens to be the next team on the calendar, but I'm being asked this question and this is how I feel. And no, for sure, that much confidence. Because he, he went on to say unprompted, I don't even know how this came up, but he said, you know, I feel like I'm the best point guard of the country. And I, he, he said, I feel like, you know, me and Alex Lomax are, are the best backcourt of the country. He said, no disrespect to Marcus Sasser or, you know, anybody in Houston. You know, I think we can go up against anybody. So, you know, Houston caught some strays there, too. So it wasn't wasn't just about slew by any means, I don't think. In his first game for Memphis, he played 33 minutes, had 16 points on 4 of 11 shooting, 6 of 6 from the line, 6 assists, and 3 boards. Is he the the son to this Memphis galaxy, so to speak, it's going to rotate around him. He's going to be the focal point or is the team's organization or focus more spread out? How do you see Memphis playing as a team? I guess, is he the focal point or is it less centralized? No, for sure. That's a great question because, you know, going into the season and I think, you know, a lot of other reporters in this media contingent in Memphis would have said the same thing. You know, we thought it was going to be the, the Kendrick Davis show, right? Like everybody get the heck out of the way. You know, Kendrick is going to take over on every possession. And and that just wasn't the case, you know, against Vanderbilt. Uh, you saw nine different guys play, all nine scored, you know, three and double figures. It was interesting to see kind of, you know, it be this, I don't know, cohesive unit versus just you know, Kendrick putting the team on his back. Obviously, DeAndre Williams is there, you know, as we mentioned, uh, 6'9 forward, who was a preseason first team all AAC. But it was more than just those two guys. And, you know, maybe that is a, you know, that is a result of Kendrick Davis, you know, having sprained his ankle ahead of that game and only practiced one day, you know, as has been reported ahead of that game. I think for Tigers fans, that had to be encouraging that, hey, like Kendrick may be a star, but he's not going to have to put the team on his back night after night. Whether that is sustainable, you know, I guess we'll see. One more question on, on this game, and then I want to ask you about the more large-scale, you know, part of college basketball and part of knowing your opponent now is so much of, well, how good are they going to be going forward? Sure. You know, if if, if SLU or Memphis were to get, you know, whoever wins, both of them are concerned with the other one being really good for the rest of the year because it makes their calendar better. I do want to ask, if Memphis is to be successful against SLU or against anyone, what type of basketball do you see them wanting to play? Yeah, I think their best chance of winning basketball games is turning every contest into a track meet. You know, forcing turnovers, getting out in transition, getting those easy buckets, because quite frankly, there's there's not a player on this team who's a consistent three-point shooter aside from Kendrick Davis. And that's a lot to ask for, right? Like your team's primary ball handler also, you know, having to create his own threes, you know, having to kind of be that number one option from the three-point line for this team to be efficient, to get those easy buckets is going to be forcing a lot of turnovers, getting up and down the court, no doubt. Memphis in their first game against Vanderbilt, they went 22 of 34 from two, which is 64.7%, only five of 19 from three, 26.3%, which kind of, to your point, speaks to exactly, they don't have a ton of shooters, which is, I think, a unique, maybe a unique feature of a 2022 basketball team of any degree. 
you know, it's, it's baffling. Like, if you're Penny Hardaway, how is it possible? Like, you know, you got to really try, right, to assemble a roster in 2022 without more than one shooter. Like, I don't know how he did it, man. It's interesting if only because, like, that not only provides a path, to, like, being to one thing not only provides a path to beating someone. It'd be one thing if they had, like, Shaq as, like, your, right. as, like, your five, right? right? Like, and it's, like, you can just do whatever you want with, like, it doesn't matter. You don't need shooters because it's Shaq, right? Yeah, just it, feed, feed the post. Right, yeah. exactly. Whereas, like, it seems like what you're saying is their best player is the only three-point shooter and he doesn't have any help around him so you, it feels like you'd want to build off of that like they did last year perhaps whereas this year that's not the case am i too far off on that no you're absolutely right and i think you know a part of you know at least my analysis in the preseason was like hey you know like you said your best player is a you know six foot point guard is your best shooter it'd be nice you know when he's you know slashing to the rim defenses are collapsing on him to, for him to have somebody to kick it out to and right now he doesn't have anybody that's reliable for him to kick it out to so i want to move on now to the rest of the season i want i want to get a sense of what the expectations are from penny hardway and his staff and what the goals are i feel as though it's very easy to say they want to make the ncaa tournament everybody does this team plays mississippi seton hall st louis vcu auburn alabama texas a&m before reaching their conference schedule what are the expectations this year that you've been able to glean from penny yeah it's an absolutely loaded you know non-conference slate as you mentioned five sec opponents and you know that um, as you can see, you know, from, from your, your calendar there, your schedule there, Auburn and Bama back to back, that's no joke. And then you've got A&M uh, shortly thereafter. I think it's as simple as you said. I know you said you, you felt it was too simplified. You know, they get to the tournament. Everybody's happy, right? Every, every yeah. Tiger fan in the city of Memphis is happy. Penny Hardaway is yeah. happy. I think it's as simple as that. You know, how they get there matters, right, somewhat. But as far as, you know, them punching their ticket, I think that would be deemed a successful season for Memphis basketball. Considering we hear so much about Memphis basketball now since Penny has taken over, this is now his fifth season. They've only made the NCAA tournament once. They won an NIT, which is which is not nothing, but it's definitely not what the end goal is. It almost seems as though the expectations on Penny Hardaway's teams are larger than they would be if it was Memphis coached by, or no, Coach no. X, excuse me. Is that a fair analysis? Oh, absolutely. And I think Penny does that to himself, man. Like in his four years, he got two number one recruiting classes and that's fine. But then you're going to, you know, you're going to have your season kickoff event, Memphis Madness, right? Where you come out in this uh, automobile hot rod yeah. type thing with, with smoke everywhere and you've got, you know, Moneybag Yo and other Memphis rappers performing and you're, you know, you're on stage saying you want all the smoke, you know, you're, you're kind of asking for it, right? Like you're, you're drawing that spotlight on yourself. And I think one thing that was really interesting, obviously my first year on the beat, first two months on the beat was that he seemed to make a deliberate effort to kind of tame all that down. You know, there was no Memphis Madness. Mm. They had a, they had a block party, like a more, I don't want to say it was a, a little more casual, party. a little bit more casual, right? Like they had it on a, it was a big college football Saturday. So the turnout wasn't great. You know, there were, there were no big time rappers. There was no big musician. There was no smoke. There was no smoke. And that seems to be deliberate. And, you know, Penny's tone, right? Like with how he talked about this upcoming campaign changed as well in media days, you know, people asked him, Hey, do you feel disrespected? Do you feel slighted by, uh, you know, what the perception is of this team going into the season. And, you know, he didn't say, oh man, like we, you know, we got this big chip on our shoulder and you know, everybody's sleeping on us. There was none of that. You know, instead it was, you know, kind of that coach speak, you know, it shows how uh, talented the American Athletic Conference is. It shows how talented Houston is, you know, starting to sound like that kind of, you know, typical conference spokesperson that you see a seasoned coach be. Not to say he's seasoned yet, but at least starting to kind of fit that mold. Very Seems true. like he's learning from, you know, experiences. He's changing his behavior based on his past experiences, which is an interesting thought, right? Considering this is a very different looking Penny team 
than teams have passed. It's older, it's less hype, it's more veteran-laden. Hopefully that calmness, that sense of maturity resonates from the roster through the coaching staff and all the way through, you know, the program. That se- it seems like a change in pace for, for a Penny Hardaway coach team. No doubt about it. And it's funny because, you know, everything you said is true, right? Like it's a more, it's a more tame bunch. It's a more uh, together bunch. There's not these guys, you know, want to go out and get I don't know, 25 to, to boost their NBA draft stock. At the same time, though, you get a little hints of, you know, your typical Penny Hardaway teams with Kendrick Davis's comments on Thursday. You know, Penny was asked about a player named, you know, Jonathan Lawson, who people expected to play. Hey, Penny, why didn't, why didn't Jonathan play? And he said something along the lines of, you know, I'm, I'm done giving out sympathy minutes. You know, so you still see hints and shades of, you know, your typical unfiltered, chest out, big personality, Penny Hardaway teams. But I, I think, you know, to your point, there's a little bit more balance there versus it's not all, you know, lights and glitz and glamour. There seems to be a, a tameness from that veteran core. Before we say goodbye, and I want to thank you again for your time so much and talking some hoops with me, getting helping us get to know the Memphis Tigers basketball team. If you had to guess how this game Tuesday night, slew Memphis, Chaffetz Arena, if you had to guess how it was going to play out, what would be the script that you write now? That you would that you would predict. So you're asking me for a score prediction, or you're asking me how we get to that score prediction, like which maybe both. Let's let's do the let's do the how we get there, and then a score prediction at the end. I think you know they're they're going to go blow for blow for most of this contest. Memphis is going to try to you know speed things up, and it sounds like you know we talked about this kind of um, off air, if you will, off the mic that mm-hmm. you know slew you know it doesn't the stat sheet wouldn't indicate they play you know up and down tempo of basketball, but they they still get up and down, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, they do. They they try and go quick when they can. Right. So it seems like you know. There's going to be a ton of offense. Memphis obviously will have to limit three-point shooting. I believe the Billikens have taken, what, 53 attempts and through two games, shot nearly 40% from beyond the arc. And I think that plus Slew's size is, is going to be the difference. Mm. There's, you know, you got Kendrick Davis and Alex Lomax, you know, formidable backcourt, but both players only six feet tall. Um, there's only so much you can do when you've got you yeah. know, guys like Javante Perkins, who's six foot six, and Gibson Jimerson, um, who's six five. So ultimately, I think that's going to be what separates the two teams. I see something along the lines of 78 SLU, 71 Memphis. That's very interesting. I think a lot of SLU fans are still feeling the, the post-traumatic stress of going into FedEx Forum last year and getting run out of the building. I certainly remember going down there, and I think to hear someone predict a SLU win might put a lot of Billikens fan, or Billiken fans at ease, but I think they're going to have a healthy amount of skepticism in what you say there, Parth. But that's an interesting insight into how we see this Memphis team. I think it's a very different team, and we'll get a very different game this year. So well, well, let me ask you how, how do you see things playing out do you have a score um for? i think if i know this slew team this game ends up being some with both teams in the 60s probably one team in the low 60s it coming down to the final three minutes which i don't think is too different i think it's just a difference in how many points we see scored like i think yeah i think yeah. slew tries to really slow this game down maybe they try and shoot their way over memphis's lack of shooting when like memphis is going to be trying to mostly work the ball into the paint slews fancies themselves as a team who can work both but they're both slow i could see this being like a low 60s low scoring game and it's that leads me to believe that it's going to come down to who gets the last punch which i don't think we've seen slew in a situation where they need to have that yet whereas we saw at, um memphis kind of take a punch and still stand against a quality a more quality team like vanderbilt although i will say it never you know just being there and covering that 
game in Memorial Gymnasium, it never felt like Vanderbilt seriously threatened Memphis. Although they did come within eight, sure. but the, you know, just the the momentum never swung that way, if you will. I will say we haven't seen SLU play a team as good as Vanderbilt yet either. Both games they've played have been in the 150 plus or 100 plus range of Ken Palm, with Evansville being a 300 plus team. So I think I am still a little skeptical, and I want to see. And listen, if SLU goes out there and beat 29 Ken Palm Memphis Tigers team, like that could put a lot of the skepticism on my part away, right? Like that would that would be the answer. I just don't think I've seen it yet, and I need to see it before I believe it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I, you know, just to kind of go back to my prediction or, or you know the, the way I see things playing out, I still think it will be a seven point slew win. Just kind of going back to the the score though, you know, that yeah. is you know, seventy eight is a lot of points, right? Yeah, um, it is. That's the thing, especially for a Memphis team that prides itself on defense. Maybe it'll be in the sixties. I, I once again, I do still see the the margin being you know around That's that seven. ballpark, seven points. Um, in the Bilkins favor. Slew opens as a two and a half point favorite against Memphis. That's a bit of a home court thing as well. It's now at a three. It's moved just a little. It's moved a half a point in Slew's favor. The over under is at 146. So that's 70. That 70 is like really dead on there. I think like you really nailed a, 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 a good a good range according to Vegas. Pars, before we say goodbye, can you please tell us where we can find you and your work and how we can support everything that, that you've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find my work on, you know, dailymemphian.com. You can follow me on Twitter at P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A underscore. That's a lot of letters, so I'll say it again. At P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A underscore. That's our friend Parth Upadaya. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Carter. Appreciate you. Thank you again to our new friend over at the Daily Memphian, Parth Upadaya. He is a great hang. We talked for probably an extra hour on top of the stuff that we recorded, just about basketball hoops, life, everything. He's a really great hang. I'm excited to see him here in St. Louis, and he's excited to be here in St. Louis. And, you know, Memphis is a common opponent this week for SLU. There was the women's soccer game. Now there's a men's soccer game. There's a men's basketball game. There's everything. But on this men's basketball game, I thought what part, the perspective that he brought was interesting because I still, I, I, I stand by what I said. I think there's a lot of trauma related to last year's loss still, believing that this is the same team as last year. It's not. This Billiken team is deeper. This Memphis Tigers team is probably a little less deep than they were last year. They definitely have less talent than they did last year, but they still have really good players. And it starts with that point guard, Kendrick Davis. He's the guy you have to look out for. And really, if Yuri Collins can win his matchup, you feel really confident about this game. I'm curious, though, to see if Yuri Collins is the guy guarding Kendrick Davis on most possessions. I would imagine if Kendrick is the offensive firepower guy and you want to keep Yuri out of foul trouble, maybe you go to some combination of Yuri, Fred Thatch, Javon Pickett, who's been defensive stalwart thus far this season. Some combination of those three guys to kind of get in Kendrick Davis's way to try and stop them. But it feels like with Memphis's lack of shooting, a relative size advantage. I still feel like there is some concern coming off of that Evansville game where when teams go to two bigs, the Billikens really weren't prepared for that. They did adjust at halftime. Gibson Jimerson talked about it at halftime of the Evansville game that they had to go in and really adjust their communication and how they're going to deal with that two big set. So when Memphis goes to two bigs, that's a little concerning. But if the Billikens can win each matchup, they are the more talented team and will win. The line on the game is moving slightly back towards Memphis. It was three. It's now two and a half. Um, so I think it's interesting that Parth had a seven point, you know, score prediction that the Billikens would have a seven point win, so to speak. So I think that's a little big, but I think we're in for a really tough game, a really exciting game. I don't see this being a game where anybody blows each other out, but this is the time where the Billikens have to prove 
they are who we thought they were. They are as they are as good as build. Now you have to do it. They did it in 2020. Remember, they did it in 2020. They proved they can do these kinds of things. They beat LSU. They beat North Carolina State. This is another one of those games where you have to go out there and prove that you are as good as you say you are. So tonight, Memphis Tigers, Slew Billikens, catch this on the way there. After the game, I will be on the Twitter spaces as always. Come on, give me your thoughts. Let me know what you think. I'm going to look and see if I can get a little bit more organized with how I do them, a little more sorted with how available they are publicly. And if there's any kind of written content I can provide to it or add to it, that's a little bit better. So, thank you all for listening. Thank you again to Parth Ubadaya for coming on. And I will see you at Shapitz Arena tonight.